The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. Where we're at right now is I am somewhat medicated. I do not have COVID. I don't have the flu. I have a bug. And I am on some meds right now. And being on meds basically throws me off. Because as most people know about me, I never smoked weed. So when the doctor gives me a prescription, I just see things differently. So I am on a script right now. And being on the script means I have no filter, which is terrifying. Because God knows what I'm going to say. And I had all these emails this week and people were like, hey, I want you to talk about a Collins call or ramifications of stealing someone's emails. And we'll get to all that good time, but tonight I decided to talk about Father Sullivan. And Father Sullivan was the main priest at St. James. Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. And I also work at Grable and Associates. And I forgot that. See? This whole thing's off tonight. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. Father Sullivan. Growing up, um, an Italian Catholic was always a big deal for my family to be very immersed in the church. We're going to talk about some of that tonight. And there's a lot of ways to describe Sully as he was nicknamed. I guess some of the things will be expected. I'm sure I'll lose some Facebook friends tonight because there will be people that think, holy shit, Bill has kind of lost it. Um, And you know, it was funny. I was looking at people you may know on Facebook. You ever see that thing? Like, you ever just go there and see who you may know? And it's scary. It should be called people you don't want to know. <laughs> and there was this group of all these people from St. James. People I can't stand. And sometimes when they're drunk, they'll, like, send messages. And why would you send a message to someone you don't like? I mean, wouldn't you just, like, walk away? Kids... It's a lesson. If you don't like something on the internet, you can walk away. People always do that. So I decided, instead of talking about Collins calls tonight and law school and all that happy horse which has made me who I am supposedly, we're going to take a trip back in time about Brendan V. Sullivan, my main childhood priest. And some of you have heard me mention things about him in the St. James clips. I get a lot of questions about Sully, and uh, they'll be good, they'll be bad, they'll be ugly. I'm going to do my best to be objective. I'm going to be my do my best not to go off the rails with this one. What do you think? Can I do that? I will say. The live audience was a little nervous about this. The live audience actually said to me tonight, this would be like turning into a sports talk radio show. And have somebody talk about the weather. That was brilliant, by the way. Nice. With that being said, it turns out that you guys really want to hear about my life. It's not just the criminal law or winning those jury trials or getting to the Michigan Supreme Court. By the way, Scott Grable and I may be arguing before the Michigan Supreme Court on a case against an attorney general you may or may not know. What do you think of that West Coast offense now? But by the way, guys, when you hear me say... What do you think of that West Coast offense now? People have been asking me about that. Uh, I believe it was 1989 or 1990. The Giants were playing the San Francisco 49ers. And Joe Montana and the 49ers were the team to beat. And the Giants kicked their ass. And after the Giants won the game to go to the Super Bowl, Bill Parcells, the coach of the New York Giants, said, what do you think of that West Coast offense now? So when I say that on Facebook, it's me spiking the football in the case we won without doing it. And you know, during, I'll talk about some legal issues for a minute. I had this big rape case, big rape case in a county that um, starts with a letter to the alphabet towards the end. And the father of the defendant said to me, 
And by the way, this guy, he's somebody I really admire. Took me under his wing, taught me a lot. And I'm very grateful that, for that friendship. He said, Bill, I want you to win this case. But when we are done with this case, I don't want you to spike the football. I don't want you to do a touchdown dance. And, you know, even though I'm a bad dancer, I love doing a touchdown dance. I love spiking that ball. But he taught me a little humility. And tonight, I'm going to do my best not to point to the scoreboard. And um, we're going to about Father Sullivan. So, here we go. Fifth grade. Father Sullivan gets transferred to St. James. Oh, man. Father Sullivan was known. He was this big Irish guy. Really bulky. Heavy set guy. No nonsense. Crew cut. And my first encounter with Sullivan set the tone for a lot of things. He had these Siberian Huskies, right? And I was excited. Always been a dog lover. It's like, oh, wow. Look at these Siberian Huskies. They're in, like, this gated area. So we always had dogs at home. A big dog lover my whole life. Dogs and cats. Always been a big fan. So I would bring treats to the dog. And Sullivan put this big sign up saying, don't feed us. Instead of just like saying, hey, don't give treats to my dog. He put a sign up for everybody to know that this idiot little fifth grader is feeding my dogs. I don't want them to do that. In many ways, Sullivan was an ass. And there will be some Facebook deletes on that. As you were. And by the way, anybody who deletes me on Facebook for speaking my mind, I mean, I think you're smart enough to know, hey, I got a public profile, so you could just stalk my page without being my friend. So, have at it. And I was an altar boy. And this was always... A big thing for me. You know, my aunt, may she rest in peace, was my godmother. And Aunt Mary was very religious. She wanted me to be an altar boy. And Sullivan kind of ruled by fear, you know. He is one of these people that want to be feared more than respected. And in that world, St. James Vetner back then, fear and respect kind of went hand in hand. It's very bizarre. So he had these kids that were kind of scared of him. And I was his hardest working altar boy. So not his favorite. Talk about that later. So I would, you know, I'd be serving mass usually. I do Monday to Saturday. Um, the 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. mass, sometimes both. And then Saturday night or Sunday morning I would do regular mass. A lot of religion. And I was sick a lot. I used to try to tough it out to go do the mass and then go to St. James School. And I think St. James School, whew, man. And by the way, to my people I'm friends with at St. James, Henry the Head of Ill, my closest friend, love Q. Uh, I saw Nick Marablis on here. Nick's a good guy. But I will tell you, as a whole, there were a lot of assholes at St. James. Uh, and the clicks were insane. It was like... These nobodies wrote this script about who was going to be successful and who wasn't. We didn't fit the bill. You know, I was Italian. Strike one. We were poor. Strike two. We came from Atlantic City. Strike three. Well, a lot like baseball, there's no four strikes. So there was a lot of things working against me. Also, my family was somewhat... Uh, how do I put this? It's the best word for this. My family was a little crazy. So a question, did Father Sullivan hurt you? We'll talk about that, but not sexually. You know, we'll get the allegations later tonight. But I always believed um, if Father Sullivan had done something to me, my family probably would have burned down the rectory and went to prison as martyrs and been proud about that. Yeah. And Sullivan used to... He had a way of, like, finding out what's important to you or your family. So, he used to threaten me all the time he was going to fire me as an altar boy. And now, today, that would be the equivalent of saying, hey, if you don't behave, you can't get that root canal. 
being an altar boy never fulfilled me with that joy and love it was supposed to. It meant a lot to my aunt. So because my aunt wanted me to be an altar boy so bad, I busted my ass as an altar boy. It was important to me because it was important to her. So when he used to threaten to fire me for reasons which were completely bizarre. We'll get to that later, I guess. We'll see how this transitions. I was about disappointing my aunt. Now, mind you, we didn't have a car. We were dirt poor. So I used to take a bus to St. James, which was always a treat. Nothing quite as fun as being a white kid in Ducktown taking a bus in the morning to go to a school with a bunch of assholes and coming back with your life and your life. We'll, we'll get into that. But it wasn't easy to be an altar boy because we had no transportation. And Sullivan used to say stuff like, well, you know, maybe your family should be better with money. <laughs> Sorry we were poor. And he used to make these little comments. Like, I'd be there at 7 a.m., 8 a.m., and then go to school. He used to say things like, we really don't move our stations in life. Your mom deals blackjack in a casino. Your aunt's unemployed, so you know what your future is. Well, I don't know, Brendan. He kind of f***ed up in that analysis, but whatever. But hearing this from the priest you looked up to, that was, uh, it was painful. And I will tell you this, my bizarre sense of loyalty, it burned me on this one, guys. We'll talk about that later in time, about jobs I lost being loyal to Father Sullivan down the line. But as an altar boy, one of the things he used to do which was really bizarre, is he knew I loved to watch football. And we were poor. We only had a few channels, right? This is before DirecTV. You know, and even though um, I'm not really one to like show off my money or my toys or anything like that, one of the things I do show off is I have every channel known to man. If there's a sports game in North Dakota, I have it on my DirecTV. I bought every sports package in the world. Watch any hockey game, basketball game, college football, NFL, whatever. And I part of that is like, because we didn't have it growing up, it's one of the few things like I actually flex my muscle on. Usually make money, put it in the stock market, you know, invest in properties with Jewel. Really smart with money. Growing up poor, you're smart with money. Always a great tipper because of my time in Tropicana, but other I don't just spend money for the hell of it. But with TV, I do. It's kind of my way of saying, f*** you. It's one of the few things where it's like that. I mean, and, you know, there's like a new car now, the Cadillac SUV or whatever Matt got me at the firm. I was driving around in a Saturn view from like 2008. And Matt's like, hey, you can't be getting a $50,000 case with a $1,200 car. I didn't really see the analysis with that. But he got an expensive car because, one, we could afford it. Two, he goes, it goes with the image. And I think image is something I always try to push away. Because Sullivan was all about image. And I kind of resented that. You know, he deemed who was going to be successful based on their family's image. He overlooked a lot of dysfunction with these families. My family was poor. My family was dysfunctional. But my family was amazing. I wouldn't trade my aunt, my mom, and my grandfather for anybody in the fucking world. I would trade some of those times, but I think those times help make you who you are. Fear is not staring down a prosecutor in circuit court. Fear is not dealing with a judge that wants to exceed guidelines. Fear is walking home next to Pitney Village. And... You, when you're walking home next to Pitney Village, you're caught between a couple worlds. One is a survival technique, right? But then you want to be accepted by this priest so bad. And in hindsight, who the f*** was this priest to set these guidelines? So what he used to do, knowing I loved football, he used to schedule me for Sunday night 5.30 mass. That was his thing. So I would do Sunday night at 5.30, and then I would have to do like 7 a.m. on Monday. There were a couple problems with that. One was I'd missed a late game. I'd missed a 4 o'clock game. And he said to me, well, you got to choose between God and football. 
That's a weird analysis, no? There's another aspect to that. When you went home to my neighborhood, like, it must be an hour, you'd catch a 7 o'clock bus, you get home about 7.20. 7.20, during that time period in Ducktown, it was danger zone. You learned to cut through this parking lot. You learned how to survive, and you knew you were vulnerable. And I used to say to him, I remember one day I went to him scared, like, Sully, I don't want that 5.30 mass, not just because I can't watch football, but it's dangerous to come home at night. And he would say things like, well, if your family was in a better financial situation, we'd have to sacrifice that way. So God will watch over you. I don't know where God was my sophomore year when I was almost raped and beaten, but appreciate the insight, Sully. And I say to Aunt Mary, you know, I'm kind of scared to come home after the 5.30 Sunday night mass. And Sully would, like, call her and tell her, well, no, he's not really scared. He just wants to watch football. And my aunt, God love her, she's like, well, you got to choose, Billy. I mean, you're an altar boy. Mm, man. Meanwhile, some of the kids that lived in Ventnor, like, five minutes away, he wouldn't give them that mask because they didn't want to do it. Fascinating, man. Had a really warped sense of controlling his uh, power. And he had his favorites, you know, and I'm not, I wasn't there for certain things. I know there's rumors and innuendo. I'll say this. I don't think it's normal for a 55-year-old man to have a play date with a 12-year-old boy. That wasn't the boy he had the play date with. But, yeah, there were some weird things going on. And the people that he deemed his inner circle... There's a lot of things we wonder about today. But the play dates are really weird. And one of the things that Sully would do is um, he used to give me some credit. And this is where emotional abuse comes in. He used to tell me, hey, you're really a hard worker. And I was what we call a rectory sitter. This is one of my ways to get my family out of the ghetto. This is where the value of money came in to me, okay? As a retry sitter, you would make $2.25 an hour. And I used to get a lot of hours in. You know, I worked all day on Saturday. I worked Wednesdays. I picked up ships wherever I could. So what I would do with that is I would take the money from retry sitting and I would buy my animals their food and I would... Buy baseball cards or everything else. Here was my goal. The baseball cards went up in value. I would sell it. And when I was like 20, I had this nice collection of baseball cards. And I sold everything to put a down payment on our first house in Vetner. In some ways, I'm grateful to sell it because he taught me the value of a dollar. He taught me a work ethic. That was something that just kind of... It struck a chord really hard. I'm going to work all these hours. I'm going to buy the baseball cards, take care of my animals. And by ba by getting the baseball cards, I want to take care of my family. Take care of my animals. That was like my children from day one. And my animals, they've seen some shit, man. My animals were my closest confidants growing up. And I remember, um, I remember being in children's hospital in eighth grade. In Philadelphia. God bless Children's Hospital, man. They saved me. And Sully called the hospital. Now, the hospital was 60 miles away, right? That's an hour trip. And at the hospital, I was really hoping Father Saul would come see me. Father Ed came to see me. Father Ed Mayer was a great man. Truly amazing individual. Sully, not so much. But Sully called me up one day, and I think I'm dying. Um, I was close to death. And Sully called me, and I was so excited. Father Sullivan cares. He's calling me. And he said to me, I'll never forget this call. He goes, when are you going to get out of the fucking hospital 
my schedule's really bad. If you cannot do mass, be the altar boy, and work these shifts, I'll have to find replacements for you. So do you have a time frame on this? What the fuck? Jesus Christ. So now, I'm prepared to die in 8th grade, okay? Let's just be real. I thought it was over. And, um... I'm dealing with my aunt and my mom, and I told Aunt Mare, if it's my time to die, it's my time to die. But I was worried about them. Sully throws this shit on me, like, I'm going to lose my job, too, if I make it out of here, if I don't get out of here quick enough. That's f***ed up shit right there, man. Alright, so I played hockey at Shore Hockey School. Aunt Mare always wanted me to play hockey. And, um... That was one of the things to help toughen me up. She was worried about me after I was sick. And hockey was on Sundays at noon. So now Sullivan always gave me the 5.30 mass on Sunday night. When I started playing hockey, he moved me to the noon mass on Sunday. Because <laughs> he wanted me playing hockey. That's a move Jim Jones and People's Temple would be proud of right there. And he used to say to me, what do you care more about, God or hockey? I, you just couldn't win with this guy. And I think by, like, seventh grade, I had enough. Like, I'm playing fucking hockey. If you want to fire me, fucking fire me, dude. I'm playing hockey. Because, well, I'm doing you a favor. Thanks, bro. Thank you for letting me play hockey. So then, when I had to do the fucking 530 mass, I could drag my hockey equipment home through the ghetto. Good looking out, bro. I will tell you, eighth grade, things got weird. Now, the people in 7th grade, they were kind of pricks, but they were, um, they were beloved by a lot of people at school. And there was this one blonde-haired kid. I'll just label him the blonde-haired kid. He was, like, the pretty boy of the group. People loved him, man. He was an altar boy off and on. And I'd run into his ass in high school. He'd make these comments, say, hey, Paisan, blah, blah, blah. And I wouldn't beat his ass because I didn't want to get kicked off of baseball. I could say this to the pretty boy. I've seen recent pictures of you on Facebook. Bro, you get as many tattoos as you want, man. You don't look, you look like shit today, bro. But he was one of Sully's favorites. And, and by the way, if anybody from back then has a problem with me personally, I will gladly sign consent forms and we could do whatever you want to do. Like I'm, I'm not going to risk my law licenses for you, but I'm going to speak the truth. If you got a problem with that, go f*** yourself. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. So one day, Sully, um, in an effort to make me tough, and actually he did help make me tougher with this. And I appreciate this story. It wasn't, I don't know if it was the best of intentions, but... There was a storm outside. And by the rectory, there was like this um, garage. And the kids would like throw their tennis balls and stuff accidentally on this roof. There were tons of balls on the roof. And he said to me, Amadego. That was was like, Amadego. I get it. I'm Italian. Ha ha ha. You fucking drunk. Anyway. He says to me, we're going to get those balls today. I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? He pulled up his big green bus. And he puts this ladder on top of the bus. And it's like a storm outside, right? This ladder is shaking. Because you're going to climb that ladder and get the balls. I, I mean, got to do it, right? Sully said it. Remember, I'm, I'm climbing up this ladder. And I'm getting the balls. And he, part of him's laughing. I think he he was like laughing as the ladder was shaking. I don't know if he wanted me to fall or if it was really just, hey, I'm going to make a man out of you today. I don't know. Got the balls. I climbed down the ladder. Then a few weeks later, um, did it again. And this time I'm like, hey, let's get those balls. You know. So when you're climbing up a ladder in a thunderstorm that's creaking on this old bus. You think you're going to fall and break your neck. And it made me tougher. So thanks for that, I guess. 
There was also the recycle story, which was funny. In Ventnor back then, recycling was this big thing. And Tom, he took all these newspapers and he dumped them in the regular trash bin instead of the recycle trash bin. And I said to him, hey, aren't we supposed to be recycling? And he told me how he put the recycle bin together. And the guys, the trash men said, hey, you can't do that. There was too many papers in there. So I, guess I start putting them in regular trash bin because it wasn't nearly as particular. <laughs> so he, he had a warped sense of humor. Eighth grade was kind of weird. I remember once in religion class, I got scolded. Um, eighth grade was really odd, man, I'll tell you. Miss McDevitt. Can't stand the sight of her. Till this day. I mean, I like it when I see her under people you may know. Like, I gotta do everything in my power not to send her a message, right? But in eighth grade, we were in religion class. And she talked about how bad Martin Luther was. Martin Luther is a guy, he was Catholic, and he became Lutheran. And what Martin Luther did was, he saw all the things the Catholic Church was doing wrong, so he, like, took a piece of paper... And he taped it to the Pope's door. And Linda McDevitt's like, and that shows you how bad person Martin Luther was because he was belittling the Catholic Church. So I mean, I raised my hand. In the Catholic faith back then, questioning things was wrong. You cannot ask questions. And obviously, with me, I asked a question about everything. So I said to Miss McDevitt, wasn't that kind of courageous of Martin Luther? Like, I'm guessing the guy tried to talk to the Pope, and the Pope blew him off, so he finally said, well, f*** it, here, here's what you're doing wrong. I'm going to start my own church. And she was screaming at me, this large woman, don't you ever question the Catholic faith again. She sent me to Sully, and Sully threatened to, like, fire me from a rectory sitter job. You know, and this is where money starts to become, like, this thing in my world. I always knew I was going to have money, and here's, there was, like, this line in the sand. I was terrified about losing my job as a rectory sitter. And I was terrified because if I didn't make that two twenty-five an hour, would my animal suffer because of it? So I'm screaming, defending myself. I'm also kind of tempered it because I don't want to lose my job. I want my animals to be hurt. That was an interesting endeavor. And then there was the whole remote control situation. Some people heard about that. There was this one kid that was his favorite. Take what you will for that one. <laughs> but, um, this kid would come in. He wasn't a rectory sitter. His family had money. He didn't need to be a rectory sitter. He would announce that. So, I'm watching TV, doing my homework. And this kid comes in. He takes remote control. And he sits his ass down. He would change the channel. He, that was always his thing. He's flexing his muscle. I'm more important than you. And this one day, I had enough. So I take the f***ing remote control back, right? I said, motherfucker, I'm watching TV. Go f*** yourself. And he went whining to Sully like a little bitch. Father Sullivan, Billy's being ass with me. He won't let me watch TV. Here comes this large, fat f***ing coming out of his office. And he's screaming, you're an employee. He's a guest. You give him the remote control back now. And he's like screaming at me. And I'm in his face like, hey, as a retry sitter, we have a right to watch f***ing TV. And I'm in this guy's face hard. Can he threaten me with the job? He told me how, you know, he's more important than me. And he gave him the remote control. That was like, that was a fascinating situation. There was this one priest... Father Hopkins. I liked Father Hopkins. Father Hopkins on the sex offenders list in New Jersey today. And Father Hopkins wanted to go hang out alone. And I heard Sully scream at him, No, Jim, not this one, no! What do we take from that? Okay. Hopkins did prison time for molesting children. And I guess Hopkins was into me. He saw me as a prey. And Sullivan, who later in time will go down for molesting children, told Hopkins not to go near me. Here's what. Let's go back to my family. Let's go back to Gloria Neary. 
Mary Lee Neary and Matthew Neary. They would have murdered someone if I was ever molested in any way whatsoever. ever. So Sully is telling Hopkins not to go near this one. Whoa! This one? So another one? And we took it to the high school years. High school. Oh my god. Went to Atlantic City High. Sully wanted me to go to Holy Spirit. My family couldn't afford Holy Spirit. AC High was free. Now, AC High, as you've heard before, is pretty segregated. Ventnor Margate this way, Brigantine Lake City that way. Wealthy white this way. Poor that way. Poor minority that way. White and poor. It was like a double whammy on that one where we lived. So, AC High, <laughs> first couple years was brutality. People will tell you AC High was great. Well, you didn't f***ing take the jitney home after hours. I'll just leave it at that. School was segregated. I don't care what the f*** anybody says. If you were from Vatner or Margate, you enjoyed your time at AC High. So, let's just be clear about that, alright? Don't f***ing tell me being a white kid in mother f***ing Ducktown in the 90s was a good f***ing time okay let's be real fucking clear about that and then it was i was almost raped and you've heard this story trump plaza hiding behind uh, whatever repression right you block shit out of your mind and when i was almost raped and beaten and had a gun put in my ear and i was stabbed i went to sully my sign of religion and I said, Sully, what do I do? And he f***ing said to me, wait for it. If you went to Holy Spirit, this wouldn't have happened. Sorry, mom couldn't afford it, motherfucker. And, you know, that day. That day, man. That day I learned that fear is subjective. It's in the mind. I was talking to somebody I respect the other day, and I said, I think we place ourselves in three categories in life. There is the brains, there's the sex appeal, and there's the work ethic. And I always place myself in the work ethic by choice. Here's the problem with that. The work ethic, people don't quite get it. Because, yeah, I know there's some better-looking people than me, but I could hang my own with the sex appeal. The brains, I could hang my own there. So because you could hang your own in those two categories, work ethic usually doesn't come into play. But work ethic's the one thing that's subjective. So if I outwork the motherfuckers, but I could hang those other two categories, I was going to throw shit off. That was survival mode to me. Okay? Hurt my shoulder. Not going to play pro baseball. Sick and dying. Almost killed, almost raped. But I will outwork anybody because that was my way to get my family the fuck out. That was it. Those baseball cards went up in value. I gave up everything to buy them that house in Ventnor to get the fuck out of there. That happened before my 20th birthday. So the high school years with Sully were fucked up because he saw he was losing control. He saw, wait a minute, this guy, and he started to say, you're a self-made man. Cool, thanks. That meant the world coming from him. College years, man, things transitioned. So college, we're like living in the burbs now. We're living with a bunch of ass in South Jersey. But um, yeah, we you weren't fearful of you know getting beaten or raped in Vendor Heights. In college, you start finding your way in different things. I worked in Tropicana. And Tropicana was fascinating. Because I think I learned more at Tropicana than I ever did in college. <clears throat> but I tried to stay in touch with Sully. You know, like, hey, I'm going to graduate top of my class in college. And that's going to make win Sully's approval. There was always this need to win Sully's approval. And I felt like this insane data graduate. And there were some things he did nice, okay? Let me, understand, let me be clear on that. My grandfather died my sophomore year of high school. He came to St. Michael's to do the mass. 
he put me on that ladder, and I, I know that's subjective. I you cannot tell a story without telling all aspects of that fucking story. Let's be clear about that. Because I could sit here and tell you he was the most evil guy in the world. No, he wasn't. Did he mistreat me? F yeah. But were there positive aspects? Were there things that Father Sullivan taught me to help me get where I am? They absolutely. In any story, there's two sides. Understand that. And I'm doing my best to put personal feelings aside and try to be as objective as I fucking possibly can. There's some bitterness there. But you know, what doesn't kill you makes you much stronger. And he helped mold me into a strong adult. Whatever his intentions were, there were some positives that came from that. And you know, during um the Tropicana years, it was a struggle to get into law school. Nobody knew I had dyslexia. It just wasn't he can't do well anything else that. Let me tell you, taking the LSAT while seeing words in reverse, whew, good luck with that. I used to just literally work my balls off and work at the casino to support Aunt Mary and Mom and my animals and then study all fucking night. And the things I had to do to compensate for seeing words in reverse were brutal, but they were done. And... There was struggle to get into law school. I mean, nobody wanted me. I could talk all the about Cooley I want. I'll always be grateful Cooley gave me a shot. Because Rucker sure as didn't. And during those years of struggle, I turned to Sullivan because Sullivan was helping a lot of people out. You know, he was a man of power. He could make things happen. And he said to me, hey, sorry, I don't know who to call to get you into law school. You know, and I knew he knew who to call. He could have called in a favor for me. I was one of his flock, right? He didn't. He's one of the reasons I ended up in Michigan. It used to hurt me that um, he wouldn't help me out. I didn't understand it. I worked my ass off as an altar boy. I literally worked my ass off as a rectory sitter. Despite anger and hostility, I always put him first. And I would put him first. It would hurt my career down the line. We'll get to that. He wouldn't help me get into law school. Sometimes I've just got to help yourself. He would tell me down the line, I didn't help you get into law school because I didn't think you were smart for law school. <laughs> There's a time in my life where I think um, those words from him would have hurt a lot. Today I just look at it and I think to myself, who the fuck was this guy to make that commentary? Like, what did he know about what was inside here? You know, when Tom Brady went to the Combine, people said he wasn't fast enough, he wasn't strong enough. They can't measure what's inside your heart. And obviously you can't win every case. It's impossible. Sometimes the criminal defense lawyer, the game starts 28 nothing. Sometimes you can throw 500 yards and five touchdowns and still lose. And sometimes you can throw 205 picks and still win. But the key to criminal law is the fight. To put your client first. To go out there and have no fear. To respect the prosecutor, the judge, the probation department. But still be willing to die for your client. That's a lot harder than it f***ing sounds. And one of the reasons I never wanted to do crim law, well, there's two reasons. One, I fucking knew. This is who I am, right? But if I do crim, I'm going to get so locked in, it's going to fucking consume me. Two, Sully used to say, I don't think he can make it as a lawyer. But if you ever did, somebody like you would be good in crim. Well, Sully, I don't know if you're in heaven or burning in hell, but you were right about that. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. 
so I had this fierce notion to be this amazing civil litigator. And let me tell you, the shoe didn't fit. With that being said, it's amazing how people can say things to you. When Carl Smallwood, a guidance counselor, my senior year at high school, said to me, you will never make it as a lawyer. You need to be a sports writer. I love sports writing. But fuck you, Carl Smallwood. Who the fuck are you? Miss Gandia told me I'd make it as a lawyer. When Sullivan said I couldn't do it, well, as much as I love Sully, fuck you too. When people say negative to you, I want you to think about something. You can let that break you, or you could use the most motivational you ever heard. And there was never a doubt in my mind I was going to make it as a lawyer. I wish Sully would have, like, been on my side with it. That would have been great. Would have been great having your childhood priest say you could do something amazing. Didn't happen, right? Nope. That's nobody. So getting into law school is brutal. And then... I'm in law school. I almost failed out my first term. Because some assholes would not read my essays. Because my handwriting was bad. Because I had this thing called dysgraphia. Dysgraphia, a couple of dyslexia, means you can't read my handwriting. My handwriting sucks. Everybody that knows that knows my handwriting sucks. But surprisingly, when I typed, oh, shit, he's pretty fucking smart. And Norman fell, go fuck yourself for giving me a D in criminal. Are you kidding me, dude? To quote Larry Holmes, you couldn't hold my fucking jock. <laughs> but I must fit out of law school. And of course, I turned to Sully for guidance. And he said to me, you should quit. Why go into more financial aid debt? You don't have what it takes. Part of me was hurt by that. Another part of me was like, okay, watch this, you asshole. And as I'm starting to make it through law school, get in the rockers, right? My grades are good enough by like my fifth term, something like that. And I took Sully out to dinner on a term break. And I tell him, hey, rockers might take me. I'm going to come home. And he said to me, I think it's a good idea you come back home to Jersey. I don't know what happened that day. But when he said that to me, that motivated me to stay in Michigan. <laughs> so I didn't go back. He used to say to me, um, I don't know if you ever practiced law, but you graduate from law school, you proved a lot of people wrong. So you might actually be somebody in life. Oh, f bro, really? Then when I took the bar, remember after I took the bar, I took him out to dinner, right? And he said to me, well, even if you failed the bar, you're going to be okay. Why the f*** do you think I failed the bar? What made you think that? Let me tell you something. The New Jersey bar exam, which I passed in 2008. I was never going to fail that fucking exam. That was my farewell song to New Jersey. Because I knew in my mind, I'm never going to practice in Jersey. I knew Michigan is where I belong for whatever reason, okay? Let's just be clear about that. I wasn't a Jersey kid anymore. I don't know if I was a Jersey kid. But I had to pass the highest test in that fucking state for closure. So passing the Jersey bar, to me, that was a foregone conclusion. I was going to fail that f***ing test. Michigan, to me, was much more pressure because, hell, I really, I knew this is where I wanted to be. And it hurt Aunt Mare, you know? Took care of her financially and stuff, and that's a story for another time, and it's been told in some ways. But, I mean, I wasn't going to practice in New Jersey. Um, sometimes being in your home is a thing that works. For me, it wasn't going to work. I had to leave. And I think subconsciously, Sully was one of the reasons for that. So you passed the bar. And after you passed the bar, remember, Cooley wouldn't give me a $15 an hour job at the register's office. Please take that $15 an hour and shove it up your ass today. Seriously, really coolly. 
and that's where I see these people at Holy like posting about minor successes of people. So and so has a job. Blah blah blah. By the way, winning some murder trials over here. <laughs> I, I am not a, the alumni relation team's not a fan of mine, and I am really losing sleep over that. <sighs> so after um. After law school, I had passed a couple bar exams. I was tutoring full-time. I had to tutor full-time to support Aunt Mayor. The economy sucked. All right? I wasn't practicing law. I was working ungodly hours as a tutor supporting my aunt. And it hit the press. It hit the press that Father Sullivan had molested a kid in, I think, 1983. And the weird part about this... Well, that was long before I know him. But the weird part about this was... I had a job at a big firm in Jersey. I applied. I'm coming home. And I start defending Sullivan. And I call him up and I tell him, I got you back. I have your f***ing back. And I did defend him. Pro bono. I fought like hell for him. And the firm said to me, you could defend Father Sullivan. But if you keep this up, we're not going to hire you. We see a lot of potential in you, Mr. Amadeo. You're a worker. You got passion and you got fight. But if you keep defending this man, we can't have that. And I defended him. And I got where I need to be with that case. And I lost that job. And after, um... After I defended him, and he got what he needed out of me, he changed his phone number. Didn't give it to me. And I was like kicking the teeth. But the positive of that, right? I started learning. This criminal law thing might be a way to go, but I'm not really a crim guy. You know, there's a scene in Rounders where uh, Petrovsky is talking to Mike. And he tells Mike how... He was born and bred to be a rabbi. And he knew it just was not him. And he found his way with law and disappointed his family. He said to Mike, it always hurt them. And Mike says to him, if you had to choose it all over again, what would you have done? And the professor goes, what choice? We can't run from who we are. And I tried, you know. I didn't want to do crim. I knew, I knew if I did crim, this was going to happen. <laughs> So, here we are. And I lost that big-time job. Maybe a blessing in disguise. Didn't feel like it at the time. Didn't feel like it at the time when I was chasing students down who owed me money and took advantage of me and shit like that. But I'm, I had guaranteed money for Aunt Mare. My decisions in life have always been about somebody else, not for me. And when I finally just embraced criminal, it was one of the first times, maybe ever, I just said, I'm doing this for me. And God, when Scott Grable threw me in on Krim, Scott Grable always tells a joke. Because I threw you into the deepest part of the ocean. I tied your hands. I wrapped you up in a blanket where you couldn't breathe. And you broke free and you swam the shore and you kicked ass. Scotty Grable took a chance on me when he did not have to. So even though Scott Grable and I bang heads sometimes, I love Scott Grable. He's like a big brother to me. I will never not work for Scott Grable no matter how big I get. Because I know there's two sides of every issue, but Scott took a chance on me, and Scott changed my career and changed my life. That's a friend. Not some ass telling you you can't make it. Don't forget that. Don't ever forget that. So if you cross Scott Grable, you do f***ing cross me. Let me be clear on that. Scott, I want to kill you sometimes. But you've been an amazing mentor, and I'm forever grateful for that. I would not be here if it was not for Scott Grable and Grable and Associates. That man's an amazing criminal lawyer, and he took me under his wing when he didn't have to. Father Sullivan, in my opinion, had to. I was there for him. I put on the line for him. 
And if Brendan V. Sullivan had one-tenth of the integrity of Scott Grable, I'd probably be a big-time lawyer in New Jersey. But you know what? It wasn't in the cards. And thank God for that. So then he died. And he had, like, this pair of rosary beads, right? And I wanted these rosary beads. I always loved these rosary beads. This was something that was important to me. I used to pray with these rosary beads. I remember, like, being a kid and, like... This was something important. And he didn't leave me those rosary beads. That was the one thing I wanted from his estate. Change his number. He leave me the rosary beads. Brendan V. Sullivan, in some ways, in my opinion, is a complete piece of In other ways. I'm grateful to the guy. He did add an edge. He did it cruelly. Get it coldly. In some ways, he did it. That's as objective as I could fucking be about Father Brendan V. Sullivan. Dude, I'm sure there's things I left out. I'm sure there's more stories I could tell. But for tonight, being medicated, being exhausted, I got no energy left, okay? I came in today to keep three people out of prison. Mission accomplished. They're home tonight. Cheers. That's the end of the ballad of Father Sullivan for now. I'm Bill Amadeo, and I f***ing approve this message. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.